Poetry Dose. Hi, uh, my name's Keegan Lester, and I'm going to read a poem for you for the podcast Poetry Dose. I'm supposed to say a few words about it, um, about writing it, revising it, dreaming it, feeding it, struggling with it. Uh, this particular poem is called The Topography Of. It was part of a series of poems I wrote in 2011 to 2013 or 14. It was sort of like the first, it was part of the first collection of poems that I'd ever written that was this cohesive whole thing. There were a bunch of poems called The Topography of Blank, and this one would have been the title poem if that book had ever been published. Uh, I wrote it after a year of taking care of my grandmother in West Virginia. Uh, I'd planned to, I'd moved to West Virginia at the time from California. Uh, I was working. Uh, for my parents' business, and I ended up moving because I wanted to write this book, um, and I only planned on being in West Virginia for uh, that summer, uh, just to catch up with friends and, and to try to get this book written. And it ended up that I stayed past summer, and then uh, my grandmother had a stroke, and so I spent the year uh, taking care of her, and talking with her, and hanging out with her, and just sort of uh, being a, a friend and at some point in that year she said that you I don't know exactly what you do because uh, she doesn't know what the whole poetry thing is but she said uh, but I know you have to go to New York to do it so uh, you know I want you to go to New York and that was really hard because uh, For, for me, the relationship that I have with my grandmother is, is probably uh, the most important relationship I have uh, with really anybody on the face of the earth, and I didn't want to leave her, and, uh, but she told me to go. And so I kind of wrote this poem about that. This is called The Topography Of. You, the birds tugging on you, you, you as a knifed fish, you as a pile of your bones fractured. You as God on the shoulder of a highway, mask eroding where a man kneels over your crumpled body as you wonder what the moon over New York sounds like. And you ask the man who kneels over your crumpled body what the moon over New York sounds like. You wonder how he knows you were once God. Could he tell by the way you hold a cigarette? You as your face eroded, the way people's faces at the end of Halloween parties wilt to lip other lips. As morning fox trots in because that's how rich people move and the paint on their faces drip their hands and their faces are theirs again and they only themselves leave the party with a stranger and compare the insides of the stranger's apartment to their own. Finding that a costume is not much of a costume at all. The you in a stranger's bed closing your eyes once thinking on the ocean. You as night with its neurosis and rings behind its clouds sagging its eyes spongy in a mouth. The you when you were young. When you were really, really young. Dipping french fries into a chocolate milkshake young. When you could still feel the gravity of the continent tugging on you from every direction. Uh, so that poem originally appeared in a magazine called uh, Blunderbuss, which I think is 
now a print magazine. It was an online magazine when I submitted. Uh, so huge thank you and shout out to Sam Ross for uh, publishing this poem. And he's actually got a just I think it was just announced that Carl Phillips selected his poem, uh, his book of poetry, through Four Away Press. So he's definitely a person you want to a, a person's or a poet's book that you want to get your hands on if you get the chance. Um, I'm trying to think what, what else is there to say about this. I think this poem sort of, for me, it marked a shift where I had, when I was in grad school, I think I was writing these poems with very high language, and I was doing things that were interesting at the line, at least interesting, I think, to me. And I realized that I was never going to get anybody to be interested in poems that um, I couldn't get my mother interested in or that I couldn't get people around me interested in. And so I kind of went on this long journey, this roundabout journey, where I figured out uh, how to write poems that were more grounded, that were uh, utilizing more common-day language and more um, real-life less less abstract, less elliptical, while still using uh, sound and high lyric and music to sort of push the pacing of the poem and to create credibility um, and nuance, but with, but also finding a way to um, provide a narrative, which I think I definitely lacked in my earlier poetry. And so, like I said, this was a poem I wrote after my grandmother said I should go back to New York. Um, and, I mean, it, it's... If you read it, it has dreamy qualities to it. It has all kinds of different manifestations. I actually I stole one of the lines from, uh, I think, a This American Life line about... Um, the, there was, like, a Valentine's Day... Uh, show or something and this couple that had been together for forever like since they were 18 and they were at that point 28 or 29 uh decided to take a break before they got married just to see uh what that would do for their relationship and one of the lines that stuck out for me in that story was when they said that uh when when the male said that he first started um sort of sleeping with other people, you know, which was part of the encouragement of the female, that uh, he realized that there were all these different worlds that were happening outside of his because he'd go into these people's apartments and they were all decorated differently and he couldn't believe it. But, like, after a while, he he kind of noticed that there were, like, maybe five or six different kinds of different decorations uh, decorations and then they all um, kind of became the same thing and so sort of that idea that we, we, we think that we're these mysterious people and we, we hope that people think uh, or, or judge us by or give us credibility by the art that we like or by the music that we like but it's really sort of all boils down to people's insecurity um, I don't know, I, I've always been more excited about people that I can share things with rather than, um, I guess, trying to prove anything. 
but so a lot of I guess that and going and figuring out how I was going to make it back to New York and uh, sort of having to leave my grandmother and then the idea that uh, I felt like because I, I went to college uh, in New York City I went to grad school in New York City and it didn't go so hot <laughs> um, I got really really sick and I didn't know why I was sick and I think um, I didn't handle things as well as I could have and so going back there was a lot of trepidation and fear and wondering if I'd have a community there or not but I think that I recognized and what this poem recognized was that there are probably millions of people that are just as afraid and terrified uh, as me and so I shouldn't be afraid or I should be afraid and I should be less worried about being afraid. I went to Catholic school and we didn't really have much in the way of poetry growing up. Um, I think the highest language I ever had sort of in my household was actually in, in mass. And I used to altar serve a lot. And I was in a lot of, uh, altar served a lot of funerals. Um, a fact you might not know about me, I was the uh, altar server of the year for the Archdiocese of Orange County uh, in like 2001. Because uh, essentially I would uh, get paid to skip algebra class by going to Altasur funerals during the week when I was in elementary school. So I, I think I was drawn into language there and sound and music um, just from sort of the presence of, of mass and what would happen when you get caught up in cadences and how you can feel sort of outside of your body. And so I think I knew, like, I'd always been writing. I didn't have very many great formal influences. Probably Robert Frost, uh, Emily Dickinson, and um, definitely Gwendolyn Brooks. I think, like, We Real Cool was the first time I ever thought you could write poetry in a way that people actually spoke, and so that was a huge influence to me. But I guess today, because I figure somebody else is going to already do that one. So I'm going to do Fire and Ice by Robert Frost. Um, and I'll explain why after. So here's Fire and Ice. Some say the world will end in fire. Some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I'd know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. Um, the thing about Robert Frost is I think the plain spokenness of his language drew me in. Um, he wrote a lot of poems in sort of blank verse. So there was like a cadence there that I, as a kid, definitely was drawn into for the same reasons that I was drawn into sort of the sounds of prayers um, in Catholic Mass. 
but one of the things that I've as a, as I've gotten older is I realized that a lot of like the stances that Fro- Robert Frost takes in his poetry, especially his earlier poetry, um, are so neutral. And I think I remember it being when I was young so interesting to hear that language could be so influenced by a, a poet that uh, you would hear in your everyday, like like on a newscast, like Fire and Ice referencing, you know, t- two bad situations and having to make a decision between one. And it was interesting because it felt like that the, those pieces of language would take on their own meaning. And they never really seemed to actually be what the poems were about, but people could make it what they wanted it to be about. And somehow like that be okay that became okay like it was like a reappropriation of uh of of these lines of poetry that became to mean different things in real life like when i read uh, two roads diverge in a yellow wood when i read that poem these days sometimes i wonder if it's robert frost saying that the road um was changed because he stepped on it rather than he was changed because he he made a decision between two roads and i get the same thing from this poem where it's sort of like, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. These neutral stances he takes tend to, um, instead of instead of saying, like, I want to tell you that this is right and this is wrong, it's more just about saying that these two things exist and I'm going to talk about them. And I think at a young age, and, and you, you shouldn't do this and I know a lot of people say this about art is like I remember the first time I read this poem I thought oh I could do that and I probably couldn't do it when I when I said that but I don't know it was Robert Frost was was a window for me or was like a um, a way to step into something that I felt like I might be capable of doing um And for a young person that had zero introductions to poetry, other than Robert Frost and Emily Dickinson and sort of the things I heard in school that are, you know, not always the best places to start, um, for me it made me feel like I, I also had observations worth writing down, regardless of whether those observations were important or not. But I think part of um, any young artist or any apprenticeship for uh, any kind of person that wants to have a vocation is being able to look at something and say, how did they do it? What was the rationale behind that? Why did they do it? And try to copy it as many times as they can, you know fail writing the same poem a hundred times and then hopefully on 101 you make it but I think that for young people or for people getting into poetry this is a a great sort of place to examine why and how language and poetry can sort of enter into the public sphere into the non-poetry sphere and think about you know, what is it that we write that can affect so many people by not because we're trying to move away from them or not because we're trying to trick them or elude 
them, but giving them a gift of language that they can interpret and make into something themselves. And I guess Robert Frost uh, helped me do that or helped me see that. So, uh, thanks for having me. I'm sorry about rambling so much. Uh, my name's Keegan Lester, and I hope you all have a wonderful time. Thanks. Bye. All right. That was great. That episode pretty much made itself thanks to Keegan. Uh, he put everything together, including the uh, music behind uh, all of his readings. Um, and that comes from a band called Spirit Night from uh, New York City. Um, a little bit about Keegan. Keegan Lester is the author of the collection of poetry, This Shouldn't Be Beautiful, But It, and It Was, All I Had, So I Drew It. Selected by Mary Ruthell for the 2016 Slope Editions Book Prize. His work is published in or forthcoming from the Boston Review, Poem a Day for the Academy of American Poets, Boat, that's spelled B-O-A-A-T, Cut Bank, and Six Finch, among others. Uh, for more, check him out at keeganlester.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, poetrydose at gmail.com and also we're on Instagram at poetrydose check us out next time Say-